Giving a great victory to Ahab over Ben-Hadad. An uh, amazing display of mercy to a man like Ahab who doesn't deserve any victories. Ben-Hadad, though, was just uh, arrogant and insolent and abusive. And he decided his first demand wasn't good enough, he'd make another one. And he'd just come in and take whatever wise stuff or whatever else he wanted and uh, bragged about the fact that he was going to whip him, you know. I don't know what, what our modern equivalent would be, but it was pretty strong trash talking. And uh, Ahab says, well, don't let the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. So, uh, God gave Ahab a great victory, and uh, the Arameans uh, went back home uh, slaughtered. Now we come to stage two, second battle, 22 to 30. Then the prophet came near to the king of Israel and said to him, Go, strengthen yourself and observe, and see what you have to do. For at the turn of the year the king of Aram will come up against you. Now the servants of the king of Aram said to him, Their gods are gods of the mountains, therefore they are stronger than we. But rather let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. Do this thing. Remove the kings, each from his place, and put captains in their place. And muster an, armor like the, an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. So it came about at the turn of the year that Ben-Hadad mustered the Arameans and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. The sons of Israel were mustered and were provisioned and went to meet them. And the sons of Israel camped before them like two little flocks of goats. But the Arameans filled the country. Then a man of God came near and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, Because the Arameans have said, the Lord is a God of the mountains, but he is not a God of the valleys. Therefore I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So they camped one over against the other seven days. And it came about that on the seventh day the battle was joined, and the sons of Israel killed of the Arameans one hundred thousand foot soldiers in one day. But the rest fled to Aphek into the city, and the wall fell on twenty-seven thousand men who were left. And Ben-Hadad fled and came into the city into an inner chamber. Well, so the prophet uh, tells Ahab to strengthen himself. Uh, he's going to have another battle. You know, we can't just uh, be all excited about the one victory. We've got to prepare for the next battle. And in the Aramean camp, uh, the king was also getting some advice. What was the advice he was getting? their gods are only effective in the mountains and we chose the wrong battleground so if we choose a better battleground we can we can take them our gods are the gods of the valleys and their gods are the gods of the mountains so we pick the terrain and we're good and what other advice does he get some other strategic advice place the army one for one. All right, you, you need to you need to get enough troops. You know, get every get a, uh, as many troops as you had before. And what else? Take the kings out and put in captains. Does that make sense? What's the strategy there? 
remove the unsuccessful leaders and replace them with someone else? Yeah, and you would assume an army captain has become that because of his valor and skill. A king's that because he was son of the king, you know, whatever. And the king may not be a good warrior, may not be a good military leader. The captains presumably are, so they'll be more successful with captains leading a big army and pick the place where you fight the battle, pick the place where our gods are strong. Of course, that was really dumb because when they said, well, we just got the place wrong because our gods are stronger in the valleys, you know God's not going to let them win in the valleys. I mean, that was just, uh, you know, a suicide right there. And so sure enough, they come up and they got tons of people and, uh, you know, the Arameans are filling the country. But a man of God speaks to... Uh, Ahab and says, you know, because of what they said, you're going to win the battle. And sure enough, they won. In fact, what what unusual thing does God do to help them win? He pulls a wall down on it? Yeah. Does that remind you of anything? Jericho place. That's exactly right. You know, Jericho all, Jericho all over again kills 27,000 people with the fall of the wall. So, uh, you know, clearly this is God's intervention. God is making sure that even though Aram theoretically should have been a lot more powerful, um, he's not going to let him win in the valleys if they think that'll be a demonstration that their God is more powerful in the valleys. That's for sure. All right, comments and questions there? All right, 31 to 34. And his servant said to him, Behold now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Please let us put sackcloth on our loins and ropes on our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will save your life. So they girded sackcloth on their loins and put ropes on their heads and came to the king of Israel and said, Your servant, Ben-Hadad, says, Please let me live. He said, Is he still alive? He is my brother. Now the men took this as an omen, and quickly catching his word, said, Your brother, Ben-Hadad. Then he said, Go bring him. And then Ben-Hadad came out to him, and he took him up into the chariot. And Ben-Hadad said to him, The cities which my father took from your father I will restore, and you shall make streets for yourself in Damascus, as my father made in Samaria. Ahab said, And I will let you go with this covenant. So he made a covenant with him and let him go. Well, you know, um, you remember the uh, attitude Ben-Hadad had had toward Ahab? <laughs> Gonna help himself to everything. And now he loses the second battle, and he's more or less a POW. And I don't think I would have predicted this exchange right here. What happens? That's begging. Negotiating. <laughs> he, he gets humility all of a sudden, doesn't he? You know, uh, I guess you would. Uh, and yeah, he's, he's sort of begging, you know. And yeah, I mean, you know, it almost looks kind of sick. I mean, you know, a guy who's all proud and arrogant and boastful when he's got the upper hand, suddenly he's being defeated. Oh, please, please, I love you. You're wonderful. You're wonderful. I'm just terrible. You know, whatever. I don't know. I mean, it's like, well, good grief. Clearly, he's just saying this to try to get keep him being killed. But what's Ahab's attitude toward him? 
Okay. What does he actually say about him? Of all the strange things to say about a man like Ben Haydad. My brother? You're my br he's my brother! <laughs> Hello? <laughs> I hope your brother doesn't treat you like this. You know, in Logan's case, in me. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I mean, really, wow. Uh, and they, they figure that out. And he said his brother. So they're thinking this is probably a pretty good sign. And so when Haydad comes out and he's like, listen, you know those, those cities we took? Well, well I'll, I'll give them back. And, uh, well, I, you, can, you can set up like, uh, you know, uh, markets in, in our streets. You know, you can have, you know, I don't know, flea market or bazaar. Or, have the key you know, to the city. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, we, we, we're going to be good buddies from here on out, man. You know, I just don't understand Ahab accepting this, do you? I mean, like, wow, he was the same guy that was just bullying his way in to just grab anything he wanted. What do you think's going on with Ahab in this? Sounds like he doesn't really know what to do. Well, that's not surprising for Ahab. <laughs> Probably didn't have Jezebel right there telling him. Mm -hmm. But I think there's... There, I, there's at least a couple of things going on with this, I think. No, you don't necessarily have to agree with me. I think there's a psychological thing, and I think there's a practical thing going on here. Anybody got an idea? Well, it'd take less time if you just give it to him instead of having to conquer the lands. Well, what if he just, uh, you know, kills Ben Hadad on the spot and takes it? <laughs> you still have to fight the cities. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. A lot of times when the leader's gone. Well, anybody left at women and children. <laughs> you got a good point there, too. Yeah, really. Alright, think about two things. One is, I think we need to in understand the psychology of Ahab. You know, you look at Ahab, especially in the next chapter with Naboth's vineyard and his antics and that. I think Ahab sees himself as being kind of a rather inferior little king. You know, and here is this great big, great king Ben Hadad falling down at his feet and saying, Oh, you're my brother, man, I'll, I'll do anything for you. I think it flatters him. I think it swells his head that he's got big Ben Hadad falling down at his feet. And his pride causes him to act foolishly. You know, I think sometimes people do that. A small man will be very vulnerable to flattery, even from somebody who's double-crossed him all the time, because he, he wants to play with the big boys. You know, he wants to think that a big king like Menhadad notices him and thinks he's a brother. Oh, that's really, it's like, duh. You know, why would you feel that way? I think this part of it. The other thing I suspect politically that Israel sees it as being better to have a friendly Syria, friendly Aram, as a buffer between them and us Syria that was on the rise. So politically, maybe you don't want to go right up next to Assyria. Maybe you'd like to have a country in between you two. So that's my guesses. You can do with it what you want to, but that's it's my guess. It's probably easier to let them run their own country than be, you know, have to to take over the land and administer it and everything related to that. Just be a self-sustaining province. 
kind of thing. Maybe so. Maybe so. I don't know. I'm not sure how they would have done it. So, but at any rate, I mean that—that's pretty. I mean, if that's all that it takes, Ben Hadad restores a few cities and lets them set up some shops in Damascus. Wow. And I'll tell you, it's not two chapters before Ahab's having to fight against Ramoth Gilead. I don't know what happened to this restoring the cities that, you know, his father took or whatever. I don't know if he was an Indian restorer and he took them back or if he never really did it. He just said he would to get out of the problem. I, I don't know. It's kind of weird because you read that the Arameans still control Ramoth Gilead. It's like, oh, no, no, they gave it back. But I don't know. Thoughts and comments on that? Well, God was not at all happy about this situation. So 20, verse 35 to 43. Now a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to another by the word of the Lord, Please strike me. But the man refused to strike him. And he said to him, Because you have not listened to the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as you have departed from me, a lion will kill you. As soon as he had departed from him, a lion found him and killed him. And then he found another man and said, Please strike me. And the man struck him, wounding him. So the prophet departed and waited for the king by, by the way, and disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes. And the king passed by. And as the king passed by, he cried to the king and said, Your servant went out to the battle. To the midst of the battle, and behold, a man turned aside and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If for any reason he is missing, then your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. And the king of Israel said to him, you shall, So shall your judgment be. You, sh you yourself have decided it. Then he hastily took the bandage away from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him, that he was one was of the prophets. He said to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have let go let go out of your hand the man whom I devoted to your destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life, and your people for his people. So the king of Israel went to the house of Solon went to his house, Solon and vexed, and came to Samaria. Now, this is an unusual story, but I really think we need this. Uh if, if we could understand some of the lessons in this section, I think we're, this, this section's crying out to 21st century Christians. So you got this prophet guy who asked another prophet guy to kill, to strike him. And what does the other prophet guy do? No. Dude. Not. I don't want to hit you. And as a result... Eaten by a lion. Nope. Doesn't say that, does it? Mm, struck down. Found him. Yeah, killed, killed by a lion. Uh, he may have been eaten, but by the analogy of the uh, man of God in 1 Kings 13, maybe not. I don't know. Remember, I said that all through a sermon one time and got in real trouble over that song. At least in 1 Kings 13 he wasn't. I don't know, but at least he was killed by a lion. Uh, what does that tell you? Stay away from the lion. No. When a prophet tells you to hit him, hit him. Exactly. Now, why should you hit a prophet if a prophet tells you to hit him? He's a prophet. 
<laughs> exactly. And that means that what he says is... From word God. God. So it's not safe to ignore the word of God, not even if he says to hit somebody. You know... And if a disobedient prophet can't escape God judge, God's judgment, certainly a disobedient king like Ahab's not going to. Um, but that, that's, that, you know, I mean, does God ever tell us to do something that just, like, well, you know, wow, I don't really want to do that. I mean, no, I don't think that would be good. I mean, I don't know. Uh, there'd be some people you might just really jump at the chest to hit if they prophesied that. But there'd be other people you might really not want to hit. But if God says hit them, hit them. I mean, some, we can't be nicer than God is or more loving than God is. You know, sometimes we're like, well, we can't withdraw fellowship. That, that wouldn't be nice. You know, we wouldn't want to do that. We can't rebuke somebody. You know, but it's just be unloving. You know, we can't. Well, wait a minute. Did God tell us to? If he told us to, then we better do it. We can't just, well, God said, ah, yeah, I know, but I just can't bring myself to do that. Well, let, remember this uh, prophet. So he goes to another prophet, and he says, Hit me. And this prophet? Hit him. Right, good and proper, too. And uh, I'm assuming it turns some of his face black and blue, or whatever colors it turns in those situations. And he also ends up having to bandage up part of his face. <laughs> so why did he ask that, and what's the deal with that? This is a way for him to do what? No, well, it is, sort of, but it's also something else. It's a disguise, yeah. I mean, if you're all wounded and bandaged, maybe Ahab won't recognize you. That's the goal here. You know, so he's able to actually say something to this unsuspecting king that he won't realize where it's coming from, so he won't think about the fact this probably has a meaning for him and it's a message for him. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know... If he had gone in as a Nathan, Ahab's going to suspect something's up. So he tells a Nathan-like parable in disguise. And uh, so what's the story he tells? So there I was in the battle, and this guy comes up and he says, You have to guard this man, and don't let him go. And if you do, if he's missing, then your life is forfeit, or you have to pay me a talent of silver. And? And then I was busy elsewhere, and then he was gone. And so he's asking Ahab to give a judgment on it. What should he do? And what's Ahab's answer? It's simple. <laughs> yeah. Death. You know, who's going to have a town with silver laying around? So you're going to have to die. You know... Basically, he got Ahab right where he wanted him. He bit. Because <laughs> he's going to be uh, guilty of the very sin he's condemning. You know, because that's what the Lord had done with him. He'd given Ben-Hadad into his hand and wanted Ahab to keep him. And Ahab lets him go, and therefore he's going to be killed. You know, instead of obeying God, Ahab took advantage of the chance to show off how important he was or how nice he was, or whatever. Ben Hadad really wasn't Ahab's prisoner. He was God's. He had no right. God had been instructing him in the battle along. He had no business releasing him without God's permission. You know, because of that, Ahab would have to die. So Ahab goes home and pouts.
So what do you see in that? Different response than David when he was in the same situation. You know, David humbled himself and said, I've sinned, and Ahab pouts. Good point. What do you see in what Ahab didn't do right here? Well, you know, the fact that he let Ben-Hadad off the hook. What do we need to learn from that? The fact that he didn't, and God didn't like it. What do we learn? Well, let's sin off the hook. Yes. I, I wrote an article in Brazil on this when I lived there called Inappropriate Mercy. You know, some mercy isn't right. God doesn't want us to have mercy in every kind of situation. You know, we have to be as firmly opposed to things that are wrong as what God is. And, and, and you know, we have to be mean sometimes, I guess, the way the world looks at it. Think about it. We, we can't compromise. Think about Moses combating Pharaoh through nine plagues and then calling it all off and moving back into the palace. You know, would that have been okay? You know, think about David and Goliath fighting to a draw and then going off to share drinks at the bar. You know, would that have been the same story? Would that have been okay? Think about Jesus dining with the devil after the temptations. Could he do that? You know, we're in this world that says you're supposed to be tolerant. The number one thing is be tolerant the number one thing is say, oh, you're my brother. Yeah, that, yeah, they're my brother. They're my brother. Oh, they're good Christian people. You know, it's amazing to me how soft we become even on that. How, how readily we are to, you know, uh, just kind of, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, they're not maybe our kind of Christians, but they're, they're Christian people. Well, they don't follow the Lord's will. Are they Christians? I mean, we just get to where we just kind of like, well, we want to, we, we think, really, it's not so bad what they're doing. I, that, it may not be quite right, but I don't think it's any big deal. And we offer inappropriate mercy. God didn't give, uh, we don't have the authority to decide to let a Ben-Hadad go and say, he's my brother. If he's not my brother... And God wants me to rebuke the false doctrine. He wants me to oppose the, the false teaching. Now, I think we're in this mentality where we want to offer a bunch of mercy on our own. We want to be tolerant. You know, because in our society, the number one virtue is never saying anybody's wrong. Everybody's okay. And the only thing that's wrong is saying somebody's wrong. Now, that gets condemned. Otherwise, everything's fair game. I think this is a good lesson. Your thoughts? I do like in verse 41 that the prophet hastily took the bandage away from his eyes. <laughs> Before he got a chance to be killed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good point. I don't want to go too long with that uh, Nathan-esque uh, story. So what was the other prophet's story for whose benefit? He didn't relate it to Ahab. I think Ahab knows. 
I mean, is that what you meant? That the one that was killed, the the one that was killed by the lion. What well, I think it's a similar point. I mean, we've got to we've got to do what the Lord says, even if well, I didn't want to hurt them. You know, I didn't. I didn't. I just thought it was kind of mean. It was probably not very Christian to do that. You know, I think the lesson is you obey the Lord. You obey the Lord even if he's asking you to do something tough towards somebody. I mean, I think it's a similar point. The prophet needed to do something tough to the other prophet, and Ahab needed to do something tough with Ben-Hadad. Both of them kind of wimped out in favor of being Mr. Nice Guy when the Lord didn't say to Do you think Ahab knows that prophet died? Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I think we're being told that, at least for our benefit, that, wow. I mean, how many times do we see people just, you know, we will endorse the wrong thing. We will just come right out and say, well, I, I'm so happy for you. You know, I mean, we just do that in all kinds of things. You know, well, well, you know, my son was just, you know, made Catholic priest or something. And, you know, oh, I'm so happy for you. I'm sure you're so proud of your son. You know, oh, that's wonderful that he's a man of God. You know, that, that's what you're supposed to say. But, wow, if we do, can we do that? Can we bid God speed to things like that? I mean, I think we're just, we're tempted to be socially okay and, and, and compromise God's standards. We, we want to merge everything. We want everything to be right. I just read a book. I just finished it, so it's on my mind. Um, basically, Ah, shoot, this was bad. Basically saying, it is perfectly right and good to fully believe in evolution and God. And they merge perfectly. And, well, he had all kinds of explanation for that. But, but the idea of it was, well, you know, well, you can do both. You know, you can be a, he, he would consider himself a born-again Christian. You know, he firmly believes in all of the all of the things of the gospel. And, you know, Genesis was just an accommodation of the, you know, ancient scientific thoughts. And if God had been writing today, it'd be in the beginning there was this big bang and, you know, all that. But he, you know, that would just confuse them, so he wrote it in their terms, you know. <laughs> But what, what, that's what we want. We don't want to make anybody mad. You know, he says, oh, he's, he's, he's brothers with all of these, all of his, you know, evangelical friends and all his born-again Christian friends. They, they're brothers. And, and, and we can accept evolution fully as well. That's our, you know, you think, that, how do you do that? Well, you do that because you've drunk of the spirit of our age, which is, everything's right. You know, Never mind, it contradicts each other. It's all right. It's all good. So I think this passage is for us. Thoughts and comments.
All right, 21, 1 to 4. Now it came about after these things that...